Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Seth and Stephen. How are you, gentlemen? Hey, good afternoon. How are you doing? Yep, I'm peachy. I'm glad to be here <laughs> with both of you. So before we got started, Seth very uh, politely asked if he could use a fan because it's sweltering in New York, and unfortunately the answer was no, So because it's too loud. So uh, <laughs> if if Seth disappears towards the end of the conversation, he, uh, he has just died. So, <laughs> he melted. Uh, yeah, he died. <laughs> exactly. That's hilarious. And, <laughs> a- anything... <laughs> Anything in the pursuit of truth and art. Amen. So, uh, Sacrifices. So today's topic uh, was uh, a second go. So uh, Stephen and I had an exchange that Seth was involved in where we talked about uh, maybe broaching the subject of Jordan Peterson. Um, and for a variety of reasons, we decided not to do that, um, although we may revisit him as a mm-hmm. topic in the future. Uh, and so we came up uh, with this idea of uh, swapping poems that we love. Um, I, I think I had uh, use the adjective uh, favorite, but of course, I'm sure I I doubt I'm speaking for only myself when I say that's impossible because there are so many mm. poems that would be on that list. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, and so we uh, we swapped our poems that mean something to us that are meaningful and poignant um, at that day and time. Uh, so what we thought we would do is we're each going to read our poem, uh, and then we'll have you know eight to ten minutes to all kind of talk about it and uh, and and go from there. So, uh, Seth and or Stephen, you guys want to get us going? <laughs> yeah, you, you can go first, Stephen. I'm, I'm I'm happy to get into your poem because <laughs> it's a cool ass poem. Sure, sure. It Thank really you. is. I have to say, I'm really looking forward to hearing Stephen read it. Right, actually. Yeah. So. <laughs> so we're going to discuss these afterwards, right? We're going. Yes. To... Uh, okay. Cool, yeah, that, cool. That's the proposal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. That sounds good. Okay. So, um, hi everybody. Um, the poem I'm reading today is from Marvin K. White's book Last Rites. It is the titular poem Last Rites, and when I read it um, a couple days ago, I cried. Um, and I've been reading, I've read this poem over the years when I first met Marvin, I think in 2002 in Chicago, but here's the poem. Last writes, when I learned of Gregory's death, I cried silently, but at the funeral, girl, I'm telling you, I rocked Miss Church. Hell, I fell to my knees twice before I reached my seat. Three people had to carry me to my pew. I swayed and swooned, blew my nose on any and every available sleeve. The snot was flying everywhere. Then when I finally saw his body, my body jerked itself right inside that casket. And when I placed my lips on his, on his honey, the place was shaking. I returned to my seat, but not before passing his mother, who I'm sure at this point was through with me. I threw myself on her knee shouting, help me, Jesus, help me. When someone in the choir sang out, work it, girl, work it, all hell broke loose. I was carried out, kicking and screaming, ushered into the waiting limo, which sped me to his family's house where I feasted on fried chicken, hot water cornbread, macaroni and cheese, and Johnny Walker Black, finally in my rightful place. Mm. Amen. Mm. Amen. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you said rightful at the end, and uh, in the text that, that you sent around, it says in right place. I had a funny feeling that when I would send the poem around that I'd miss a line or two. It's actually rightful place. 
Yeah, I'm reading. Is it rightful? Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. Okay, that yeah. changes things a little bit, actually. It does, and I think when I read it earlier today, I did say right, and I was, and I went back. I was like, I don't think that's right. So it's funny that you should bring uh, it up. Now, smart uh, me didn't go back and correct it, so I oh, apologize yeah, about that. <laughs> well, you you just corrected it, so it's yeah. uh, we're good. We're good. It does change it, but yeah. So yeah, there you have it. All right. So sh- are we going to read the next poem and then just and then talk? Or uh, well, I I thought what we would do is then just kind of talk about. Mm-hmm. Stephen's poem, great, the selection, great. and then and then yeah, and then we'll move to the next one after that. So. I completely agree. Okay. So Stephen, question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Surely. The first thing that pops out to me about the poem when you sent it around yesterday was that it's a poem to a certain extent about performance, and yes. it and it is in itself performative. Yes, absolutely. Right. So is that one of the things that you love about this poem? So what I loved about it was that it's very visual. Marvin K. White, uh, he is a, a poet in residence in Oakland, California. He's also a, um, a deacon. And he, he works with different kinds of people in different workshops, writing workshops, spiritual workshops, and what have you. And Marvin is a very performative guy. In fact, when I told him I, I selected this poem, he goes, I can't wait to hear how you do it. Mm. And I've heard him read it at least twice. Mm. And um, since, you know, before then, very performative. But what I loved about it, I, get, I love a lot of things about it, but it's someone telling you the story of what he did right. in the church. Right. So the two ways that I took it. One is, is that it actually happened. Right. And two, that it happened differently. Right. Right. Do you know? Because <laughs> you're being yes. told. Right. right. And so... Because it's his so story, his, and he's going to tell it his way. Absolutely. Because right. this is his story. Right. Right. This is right. his partner. Right. And maybe... And so here, here's another story about it very briefly, is that... So Marvin wrote the poem to appear in a book called 100 Black Gay Poets, The Road Before Us by Asado Saint. Asado Saint was a poet, activist, publisher... And after Asado read the first iteration of the poem, he goes, well, don't you think, because it didn't have him going to the house afterwards. He, go, he goes, um, don't you think he deserves a drink after all this? Mm. And that's uh. when Marvin wrote the rest of it. Nice. And I love it when a poem is trying to be born mm-hmm. <laughs> and someone says, you know, one or two things and it changes mm-hmm. the whole flavor of it, right? Mm-hmm. But if you read, if Marvin reads it, obviously, 10 times better than I do. And so... What, what Marvin does for me a lot is that he always has community in mind. And some of my favorite poems are all about community. Mm. Earlier, Malou told me to tell you guys that her favorite poem is in front of her. Mm. There's always mm. a poem. There's no such thing as a favorite poem for her. And I'm glad that you mentioned that earlier, Travis, because right after this, I went after a few more poems and said, let me just stop. I said, I love poems. This is what I sent them. <laughs> I'll share this other stuff with them later. But mm-hmm. it's... It's a it's a it's a transformative poem, and it makes me feel um, excited about writing. Marvin makes me excited about writing. Mm. Writing. Mm-hmm. And Travis, what did you see in the poem that you really, really got, uh, got you? Well, I, I'll, so the performative aspect is, of course, one of the things that jumps out. I mean, the one of the other the thing what I thought was interesting is this play on right, um, right. So the rights as they would as it would typically be written is r-i-t-e right Mm -hmm. so yeah so if it was a right a religious right Mm. so but this is something morally good right so there's a sense Mm -hmm. in which there's um almost a um 
uh, uh, setting things in uh, uh, setting things in order. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that to to place things. I mean, he himself goes to this this proper place, which is clearly just sort of some kind of bodily comfort, right? I mean, yeah. that's what yeah. that's what happens at the end of the poem. It's the chicken, it's the the cornbread, and the, mm-hmm. the Johnny Walker Black. I mean, it's a very um, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, effective right okay. gesture at the end so like this this movement like back into the body mm. uh, after this after this really uh uh uh, outrageous display. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, there's really just no other I mean, way. A funeral. I mean, right. I, I, I mean yeah. if you if you were in, if you saw this performance, right. I mean, I know, I I know if Seth was sitting next to me, he would just lean over, like, what kind of fucking nonsense is this? <laughs> right. But, just like, I know, I know, right. you would be very unsparing with this. I mean, Stephen, I can't speak for you. I'm not sure, but um, uh, well, I do yeah. have a take on that, and that mm. is this. So mm. early on in the 80s and even into the 90s, people were going to funerals with people who had died of HIV and AIDS, mm. and what happened mm-hmm. was that they were getting different funerals from the person who was. In the casket, meaning that the parents or the lo- or someone wiped away their sexuality, they wiped away the fact that they had AIDS, and they just presented them in a particular way. Right. So mm-hmm. there were there were few. In fact, one of my last books, I actually talk about that issue when you are at someone's funeral and you don't get the funeral that you believe that they w- should have had. What right. do you do? Right. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think with Essex Hemphill's, um a poet named Essex Hemphill, his parents did not talk about his gayness or the how he died. And so his friends and other people, they put together another funeral, another service for him. Mm-hmm. And so, but this had happened a lot where people were just sort of whitewashed um, mm-hmm. their lives, mm-hmm. which I think is really poignant. And I don't know if it still happens, but... So here's the thing. So how do... So... That makes sense to me, and I understand the potency of being uh, part of a community that is ostracized, or I mean, as much as I can understand it, right? I can, mm-hmm. I can sort of imagine what that's like. Mm-hmm. But to, I mean, it seems almost universal to me uh, as a story of of misunderstanding uh, one's one's family misunderstanding who one is as an adult. I mean, I know very few people who have transitioned their relationships, Mm -hmm. their adolescent and childhood relationships to full-fledged adult relationships with their parents. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes we are not seen for who we are as adults by our adult parents. And mm. and, and maybe that's intensified, uh, again, like I said, and if you're in a community that is also ostracized, right? So like in the, particularly in the 80s, if you're a part of the gay community. Mm-hmm. But the, that that sense of alienate, and I don't say this to diminish, diminish it, I mean to say that there's this aspect of the poem, that injustice and that, that indignation mm-hmm. that is is readily accessible to many people, I think, that that feel that they weren't recognized in life. That's probably why it works for a lot of different people for different reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, but I definitely agree with you that it could it's very specific to a certain community, but the poems that do that are universal. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, so they then that's what allowed you possibly to get into it, but yeah, Travis, I mean, um Seth no, I'm sorry I interrupted you, Stephen. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the powerful things, and it's sort of uh, uh, what's the word? It's contra. It's not intuitive at all, um, and it's one of those things that people who start out writing poetry 
need to learn quite quite early on in the process in order for the work to I think to 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 progress or to or to mm-hmm. become more sophisticated is that the more detailed you are uh-huh. actually the more the poem explodes out to encompass more and more of life um and I do want to say something quickly. I don't think I would have called it nonsense, Travis. Just you know, if I was next to you, I would <laughs> right, have right. like used some sort I just of. Want to go on record? Yeah. Right. I just want to. I just. I would not have called, because I actually would. I think part of me would have been entertained by it, and part of me would have been, of course, scandalized um, as well, because that's just my character. But I do want to say this about the story that both you and and. And, and Stephen is telling. And that it's very personal to me and that I think this has just happened to a friend of mine uh, who passed away a couple of years ago and I still have no idea what caused his death. But Terry, Terry Hollis and I were roommates back in Fort Greene in 90, 90, 91 to 92, 93, right before I went back to undergrad. Um, and Terry was a dancer. Terry was an elegant dancer. Dan- Terry loved dance. He studied at mm-hmm. Dance Theater Harlem. Um, at the time, he um, did some work with the dance troupe that I was kind of involved in, Reggie Wilson's Fist and Heel, which is still going, um, in which our mutual friend Lawrence Harding is, is still very much involved in. Um, and then he just kind of fell off the map, and I didn't know what happened to him. I heard that he was in San Francisco, and I heard that he was homeless, and I heard that mm. someone had seen him and didn't know what to do for him, mm. whatever. He reached out to me um, like a couple of years ago. He found me on Facebook, and we exchanged some really heartfelt messages. I miss Terry. I, just, I think Terry is a really gorgeous human being, and I think at the time in my life we were living together, I just was not... I was just not a very, I just wasn't a very good person. I was just mm-hmm, bitter mm-hmm. and confused and didn't know what to do with myself. But Terry was uh, um, a real friend. And he passed away. And the thing is, I read his funeral, sorry, the statement that they published in the paper, and it mentioned nothing about him being a gay man. And I, I remember thinking, this is some bullshit. You have robbed him of the yeah. salient aspect of his life. This is who Terry was. This is who Terry yeah. was. And um, yeah, so that is my 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 sense of how this poem rings. This this is my story about the sense of how the poem rings true to me. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Uh, yeah, I don't really have an elegant segue from that. Seth, do you want to jump into to yeah. your? <laughs> yes. Poem? Yeah. Might as well. Actually, it's a it's a kind of nice counterpoint because my poem is. Um, a poem by Denise Levitov, who I did not know much about, and I still don't. Um, I encountered a poem probably back in the 90s, actually. Um, it, it just was somewhere where I was reading a lot of poetry uh, in those days, and I encountered it, and it stuck with me. And at one point, I think I memorized it, but then I have a, uh, a printout in front of me just in case I, I haven't. So this is the poem by Denise Levitov titled, O Taste and See. The world is not with us enough. O Taste and See. The Subway Bible poster said, meaning the Lord, meaning, if anything, all that lives to the imagination's tongue, grief, mercy, language, tangerine, weather, to breathe them, 
bite, savor, chew, swallow, transform into our flesh, our deaths, crossing the street, plum, quince, living in the orchard and being hungry and plucking the fruit. Mm. So I love this poem Mm -hmm. for several reasons. One is that it is actually an answer to William Wordsworth's poem, The World is Too Much With Us. It's too much with us. Yeah, that was the first thing that jumped out at me. Right. So I'm just going to read the the first couple of lines of that poem and explain how they're connected. So Wordsworth, um, one of the progenitors of um, English romantic poetry, wrote this poem says, the world is too much with us. The world is too much with us, late and soon, getting and spending. We lay waste our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours. We have given our hearts away a sordid boon. His argument, his, his grievance is that with the... And I think it's, it's really... He's talking about the onset of modernity. I mean, he's, re- he's writing at the beginning of the 19th century. And he sees this movement towards this sort of acquisitive material materialism of the age, right? This sort of the beginnings of the industrial industrial period. And he thinks we're losing out. We're losing mm-hmm. touch with nature. We're losing touch with um, that which is sort of verdant and um, life-giving and life-affirming. Right, so Denise Levitov comes into the picture like about two centuries later, right? And she says, the world is actually not with us enough. And what she means by that is that if we look around us, right, that despite the sort of story that is, the story that is being told by ecclesiastical authorities, right, by Christian church, mm-hmm. that it's about the Lord, no, it's the Bible poster said, right, it's the, the meaning the Lord. But she says, no, 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 no. It's about being this physical, embodied human being in this place and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. reaching around us for those beautiful, enticing, gorgeous things that are not equivalent to sin, right? They are equivalent to actually being in your life and celebrating it, right? Tangerine, grief, mercy, language, and you savor these things, you chew them, you swallow them, you make them into the life that you can live. They become part of you, if you so wish it. And, and she ends the poem by saying, this is what life can look like, right? That you actually have an appetite for being in this place, for being an embodied human being, and you live in this orchard, and you are hungry, and you take the fruit. Like, mm-hmm. It is such a hopeful poem for me because, honestly, I think most of human life is misery. I genuinely do. But the count, but no, but too strong, too strong. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying this is what I believe, right? I know, I know. know, It's misery, but, but if I, we should let you have the fan on. That's funny. funny. If I shake that off, right? Uh If I shake that off, and I look around me and I say, okay, yeah, actually, I am in an orchard. I am. Mm-hmm. Like, there oh, yeah. is fruit. There is fruit to be yeah. plucked around me. Like, it gives me hope. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Stephen, do you have anything to, to... I'll let you start the this one. Oh, I just thought it was a powerful way to remind people that everything is happening right now and that there's a beauty in that. Mm. And that it's really mm-hmm. up to you. Like, I felt like, 
It's a great poem for New York. <laughs> this is a great mm. poem for New York. It's so funny. I really, that's really funny you said that. I, the, I immediately, I mean, probably just because of Subway, but I, I mean, obviously I've been in other cities with Subways, but I immediately, uh, it recalled New, New York to me as well uh, when I read it. Well, also think, okay, what I want to add to that is that I know a lot of people who just sort of go back and forth to their daily lives and they kind of go back here and there and they live for the weekend and all the other things that people claim the rest of the world does, New York does it too. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, mm-hmm. With a smattering of art who stay up late and, you know, do all this other kind of stuff. But there was something, there's this gnashing of teeth, there's this soft demand to appeal to the senses that I really, really like about it. Mm. And I thought that the words back-to-back grief, mercy, language, tangerine, I was like, tangerine? I freaking love that. That is so dope. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a burst of orange in the middle of everything else. Right. And it just allowed, I think it allows readers to get in and obviously, you know, as a reader, you, you get what you pull out. Right, you know, because it's just your imagination, and I just love I love poems that demand more of you. You know, mm. they don't confirm your own biases, and they don't confirm your um, your litmus test for living. You know, that they try to push beyond those soft borders. So that's what I yeah, love about it. I thought, yeah, I thought there was a real edge in the poem, actually. Mm. So, uh, I mean, and, and I mean that in a complimentary uh, way. Mm-hmm. So, the you know, grief, mercy, language, tangerine, I, I, so we've all uh, zeroed in on that. But then, whether to breathe them, bite, savor, mm-hmm. chew, yeah. swallow, I mean, that's all alimentation. I mean, yeah. that's, yeah. that is like, you know, that is devouring, consuming the Digest. world. I mean, that, yes. that, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's, uh, and then of course, into the next stanza into our, uh, our flesh, our deaths. Right. So, I mean, like the, there's, they're right there, you know, and, and at the core of, of the poem, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. The, this is William James, you know, um, the, at the, at the center of the, the core, there is the, at the center of the feast, there is the worm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we shall all grin and dine in like that, that, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. right there at the center of this plucking and savoring the fruit, that urgency, that urgency is death and mortality mm-hmm. Yes. and, yes. Um, and mm-hmm. threat. Um, yes. So it was, I, th- I thought it was a very powerful um, yes. uh, poem. Good. Me too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nicely. What done. was the What was the context in which you uh, you came to this one, Seth? Was it just like uh, something that you were you reading Levertov uh, at the time, or did it? Were you drawn to it from another avenue? No, there was actually a very very old poetry anthology, and I'm actually looking to my left now to see whether I still own it. I actually don't know whether I do, but it's one of those small like small press. Like it was a series. And it was done in the 1960s or 70s. Uh, okay. And um, it, I remember it had a bunch of other really old poems like Dirge 123 by Kenneth Patchen and something by like Howard Nurmarov. And it's like really like poems I never encountered anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And if, if I were more of a kind of uh, sort of willing investigator, I would actually look mm-hmm. up that series and see if I could find copies. Because it's kind of a gold mine. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I don't know if I still have it. It may actually be in one of those crates I shift up to my father's house like um, more than a decade ago. So Mm -hmm. I have to do some investigation at some point to track that down. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we've, we've, we've talked this one out. So I'm, I'm happy to like move on to yours, Travis. 
So I will give you a little bit of context on this one. Uh, so this is by Pablo Neruda, very obviously very, very famous uh, poet, Chilean poet, um, famous for uh, his love poetry early in life and then uh, made a when uh, sort of made a political turn and a lot of his poetry became quite political later in life. Um, but this poem in particular, um, I found when I was quite young, so I, I mm-hmm. really had not, uh, developed at that time, I had not yet really developed my palette for poetry. Um, and, um, I, I had this job at Disneyland, uh, that was awful. And I was, uh, Seth probably (laughs) knows this story, but I was, uh, I was one of the custodians that would uh, have to walk around the park and sweep trash up. Mm. or, like, be in the parade and uh, <laughs> walk behind the horses with a vacuum cleaner and vacuum up their piss. Oh, my God. Uh, so this was a great indignity for me. <laughs> I really... And the way I would get through my days is I would... This is no joke. I would memorize a poem. And wow. I would say the poem wow. to myself over and over again as I was sweeping the lines and having like obnoxious teenagers like tell me that I had missed stuff on the floor and things like that so wow um, so this uh, it even though I haven't I hadn't really looked at it in a very long time but it has a lot of sentimental value uh, Mm -hmm, to me mm -hmm. and uh, and obviously originally written in Spanish but uh, Mm -hmm. this is called Enigmas by Pablo Neruda Uh, you ask me what the lobster is weaving there with his golden feet and I reply the ocean knows this You say, what is the Asidia waiting for in its transparent bell? What is it waiting for? I tell you it is waiting for time, like you. You ask me whom the Macrocista algae hugs in its arms? Study it. Study it at a certain hour in a certain sea, I know. You question me about the wicked tusk of the gnar whale, and I respond by describing how the sea unicorn with the harpoon in it dies. You inquire about the kingfisher's feathers, which tremble in the pure springs of the southern tides, or you found in the cards a new question touching on the crystal architecture of the sea anemone, and you'll deal that to me now? You want to understand the electric nature of the ocean spines, the armored stalactite that breaks as it walks, the hook of the anglerfish, the music stretched out in the deep places like a thread in the water? I want to tell you the ocean knows this. That life in its jewel boxes is endless as the sand, impossible to count, pure. And among the blood-colored grapes, time has made the petal hard and shiny, made the jellyfish full of light and untied its knot, letting its musical threads fall from a horn of plenty made of infinite mother of pearl. I am nothing but the empty net which has gone on ahead of unseeing human eyes, dead in those darknesses of fingers accustomed to the triangle, longitudes, on the timid globe of an orange. I once walked around as you do, investigating the endless star, and in my net, during the night, I woke up naked. The only thing caught, a fish trapped inside the wind. Mm. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I, that, was, <laughs> that, got me, that got me through many days at Disneyland. <laughs> I just love that. Mm-hmm. I a love great that. Story. I love that. So, so two things, Travis, briefly. One, that's an amazing story about Disneyland and just, you know, um, changing your consciousness at that moment, mm-hmm. you know, and being able to move it. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of a story that I heard um, a man tell tell me once that Africans, it was one of these Africans, it wasn't specific to a particular um, culture, that mm-hmm. for the long distances that they walk, 
they mm-hmm. they tell themselves stories <laughs> mm. and it and it helps them get the miles you know get helps them mm-hmm. eat up the miles right mm-hmm. i also want to say this about this poem it feels like i i read it and i read it twice and then i listened to it again when you were on um, reading it so there's a there's a song by bjork called oceana that i have mm-hmm. that's just um an instrumental played mm-hmm. piano and it feels this poem it here it adheres to this poem so well it's a great mm-hmm. background to it but it's just it's so dense like each line I could pull out and do something with it. Do you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Each line, yeah. it's really beautiful. And so where did you find this? You found this in one of a collection of his? Uh, so it was in this movie. It was, again, so it was kind of a, a formative is probably the wrong word, but there was this movie called Mind Walk in the 1980s. Um, and it was an adaptation of a book by Friedhoff Capra. And uh, Capra was one of these kind of synthesizers of East and West philosophy. Um mm-hmm. And I forget Tao of Physics may have been the book it was adapted from. I don't remember exactly. But uh, and the the premise of the movie is uh, a physicist. Uh, it sounds like a joke, but a physicist, a politician, and a poet uh, go on this walk together, um, and they just have this kind of long ranging conversation where they talk about uh, quantum mechanics and poverty and poetry. And one of the characters towards the end of the movie breaks into this poem, uh, mm. and. And I remember just being blown away. Like I would watch that scene over and over and over <laughs> and over again. Uh, and it what it's what led me to look for um, uh, Pablo Neruda. So it was one mm-hmm. of the uh, kind of you know that that started the. I, I don't know if it started, but it was certainly one of the earlier moments where uh, it kind of lit a fire under me to to move in a different direction. Isn't it great to find something that leads you to something else? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I just sure. love Absolutely. that. It's freaking yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, I think, so I have this desire to pull out what I think is a main thematic thread for me. Mm. And mm. It's, it's, it's subtle in that I wonder who he's speaking to. And I wonder how mm. he's setting himself up in the poem, rhetorically, as a person who's answering this other person. This other person is off camera, right? He's answering that person's inquiries, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, this person is coming to the speaker of the poem. And he's saying, you know about this. Answer me this, okay? Yes. You know. That's great. Yeah. You're, you're in a position, clearly, to give me knowledge. So, okay, Mr. Smart Guy, like, what is this about? <laughs> Right, <laughs> and his response, the speaker's response, is to say, "I mean, it's it is kind of the enigma, right? That, mm-hmm. and in some ways, he like absents himself. He's like, yeah, he doesn't say, I don't know, but he says, actually, look through me, like yeah. I, the 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 ocean knows this, right? Like mm-hmm. <sighs> the ocean knows this, right? That's like my favorite and, line, right? Yes. <laughs> and and then he says towards the end of the poem, like." I once walked around as you do, right? You're, so you have this like picky, you have this like investigative mind. You want these like mm-hmm. sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking at? Scientistic answers to these things, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> what is this algae doing? What is this kelp doing? Mm-hmm. What is this like sea slug doing? What, are they, what is this about? And he says, I did that once upon a time. And then in the night... Right, and during the night, this is, would be the night where poetry would come to someone. Right, mm-hmm. he says, "I woke up naked." 
Like I came into like the world anew, right? Something happened. I came into the world anew. And the only thing in my net was a fish trapped inside the wind. And I have to admit, I still don't know what that means yet. <laughs> so, so, I, so I'll give you, I mean, obviously, I've, I've, I, I used to have this poem memorized. I probably right. still do, actually. But <laughs> the, um, so to me, like, I think I, I'm, I follow your thread all the way. And I th- to me, that's, that feels right. Mm. And the thing that you're waking up to is sort of the nonsense of the dream, which yes. is the self. Which is yes. the self. Yes. Like, it's yes. just yourself you've caught, right? Absolutely. Just you, you, you just you've come back to your own self that is that is uh, brought you back to all of these questions and, nice. and the, sort of um, tying into what you said, sort of the lens through which you know he's he's trying to help this person perceive the world. Uh. But he's also trying to help him, like you said, he disappears himself. And I want to tell you, the ocean knows this: that life in its jewel box is as endless as the sand, impossible to count, pure. That for me is the poem. Like it really, mm-hmm. like it's not. It, so is the search for life or search for beauty or search for meaning meaningless? No, that's right. the point. Right, mm-hmm. right. That's right. the very right. point. Right. So yeah, that's yeah, how I read yeah. that last yeah. line. I was like, right. that's enough. And right. it, it, it's just, it's great to have the questions. When you don't have the questions, you might end up being the zombie, you know, or end up yeah. just sort of like not seeing the color. Or being able to eat or taste or, Good you know, man. to go back to well taste and see that poem. If you can't, you know, it's really rich. I just thought this was a really wonderful poem and I love the story behind it, too. So <laughs> nice. I got to look at this movie. I got Mind Walk yeah. by Capra. Well, it's based off the book by Friedhoff Capra. And okay. it's Friedhoff spelled in a F-R-I-T-J-O-F. Okay. Uh, Friedhoff Capra. So, okay, cool. Um well, that was uh, fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I always enjoy a podcast, but I mean, it was actually just kind of fun to talk about poems. It yeah. is. It is really. And, and I have to say, though, you know, one of the things I really liked about this exercise was it gave me, I mean, I know you guys. I mean, I know, I know, I know Travis a, long, a lot longer than I know you, Stephen. But, you mm-hmm. know, given our conversations over the years, Stephen, with you, like, I feel like, like one of the first times like we talk, I feel like, oh, like here's a brother. Like here's like, oh, like we know each other. Like in this like right. profound, mm-hmm. like he's a member of, of my tribe. Um, we knew each other before, like we're just getting to know each other again kind of thing. Oh, that's really dope. I, I think that too. And I think that what I love is that there was a there was a preamble with you, with Mingus, our, our mutual friend. Right, oh, you got to right. meet Seth. You got to meet Seth. You know, he was right, just passionate right. that we know each other because we'd have something in common. Right. And what I love about what I theorize and what I like to imagine about you and Travis's friendship is that there's a lot of places you guys are willing to go intellectually. And that's mm. that just allows me a lot of fun space. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank yeah, you for that both. Yeah. But but what I was getting at was that what this exercise has done is it's actually allowed me to know both of you even more in another way. Because okay. I see like like the poem that you chose, Stephen, actually kind of slightly surprised me because I thought I think of you as ah. I think of you as like kind of like what's it, like a like a like a like a sort of warrior angel intellectual. But then you have this, <laughs> but then you have this side to you, right? That like so enjoy clearly enjoys this like performativity like this sort of like these moments where like people break out of their sort of like rigid social roles and show out and i love Mm -hmm. that that has come up right 
I don't think I do a lot of trickster around you guys, but <laughs> I have a lot of trickster energy. Okay. Like I'm very interested in seeing something happen sometimes to see just what will happen. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And then the emotional part of me is like, oh, I don't want anyone hurt. I don't want anyone to do this and everyone should be safe and all that. And then someone might ask a question like in Travis's poem, in Enigmas, so you want the answer? Well, here are some ways that you can find out. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I also, I also, I, I, just to echo what Seth said, I also was, I don't, surprised might be a little too strong, but I was, mm-hmm. um, I was provoked in a, a really positive way. Like a, there was something very mischievous about the poem yes, that you picked. And, exactly. And I, um, and we don't interact in ways that I probably get a chance to see that very often, yeah. but it does definitely uh, comport to other interests that you've self-reported to me. I mean, mm-hmm. so okay. you've talked about the mm-hmm. trickster thing and, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the things that fascinates you about Prince um, is mm-hmm. sort of his ability to, to transform himself. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and clearly Prince was all about poking and taking apart and lampooning yes. um, musical forms. Yes. And, absolutely. Uh, and people. And, so, and, people. and marketing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah, anyone that changes their name to a like symbol <laughs> is like, like, you, what do you do? You, with have, that? Yes. you have ascended to right. marketing nirvana, right? Like, if you can right. make that move, right? Absolutely, right. absolutely. He's like, no, y'all the gonna before have to... and after, yeah. <laughs> right? Y'all gonna have to That's try right. to pronounce this shit, <laughs> right? I'm not gonna tell you. I'm right. not gonna tell you. <laughs> the end. You know, it was it was a stroke of genius. Actually, it was. <laughs> you know, yeah. so was. So, all right, we're we're a bit long in the right. tooth for today's uh, podcast, but that's okay. That was a lot of fun. So, really yeah. enjoyed thanks, it. Yeah. Thanks very much for joining me, guys, and uh, and we'll talk next week. Yes, right, great. thank you, Take Travis, all right. and Stephen. Thank you to both. Bye bye.